CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, everyone. This is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm your host, Jen Sanasi. Let's get right into the show. First, I'll be passing it off to our producer, Eleanor Paul, to read out today's markets updates. According to Coindesk Indices, at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, Bitcoin was trading up 3% over the past 24 hours at $49,877. Bitcoin had tipped over that 50K mark yesterday for the first time since late 2021. Ether surged 7% over the same time period, sitting at $2,674. The majority of assets in the Coindesk 20 index were in the green, with Solana taking the top spot, rising over 8% on the day. In traditional markets, the Nasdaq was down slightly in yesterday's trading, while the S&P 500 was roughly flat. And in commodities, the Brent crude oil benchmark was trading at $82.57 a barrel. Meanwhile, gold was trading at $2,027 an ounce. Now, back to Jen. For more on the market's action, let's bring in head of research at Galaxy, Alex Thorne. Hey, Jen. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. So let's just talk about what everyone's been talking about for the past couple weeks. Is that Bitcoin price action since the approval of the spot Bitcoin ETF? What do you make of it? I think everyone's really surprised, to be honest, at the magnitude of the recovery off that dip. So on January 23rd, Bitcoin traded as low as 38,500, trading at 50 or over $50,000 is a 30% move in in about 20 days, which is truly remarkable. I mean, it it caught me by surprise as well. And so, look, there's significant demand. We've seen several, at this point, many days of net inflows into the ETFs after about a week of net outflows where it looked like maybe demand, inflow demand was sort of coming down at the same time as grayscale outflows were remaining relatively solid. But that dynamic appears to have ended. I mean, it could return. But We've had consistent and large net inflows for many days in a row now. And I mean, honestly, a 30% move from the yearly low is just pretty shocking in under a month. So a a lot of strength out there. It feels like it. You saw Jack Dorsey wearing the Satoshi t-shirt at the Super Bowl and Satoshi Google searches spiked. So, you know, I don't know. I think, look, the rest of the macro environment's looking quite strong as well. Equities are at all-time highs, basically. So There's demand for risk out there, and and Bitcoin is a new story for a lot of people in the world still, even though, you know, people like you and I have been covering it for years. So there's excitement around Bitcoin, absolutely. And and frankly, like I said, I'm surprised by the magnitude of the rebound this quickly. What do you expect to see when it comes to both the price of Bitcoin 
and the net inflows into that spot Bitcoin ETF as the year progresses. We're sitting in the second month of the year here. What are you expecting to see for the rest of the year? Yeah, part of the surprise in this in, like really recent move and recovery has been that we've always said that the net new addressable market for these ETFs is largely the advisor and wealth management industry. Think about retail, you know, folks like you and I have had access to Bitcoin Spot through retail brokerage accounts, like Fidelity even for over a year, but Coinbase and crypto exchanges for, you know, 10 years. Hedge funds or, you know, faster, more sophisticated money has been able to trade the cash settled futures ETFs or even directly trade Spot. Even large allocators were able to come in and out of private investment vehicle funds. Those require sort of bespoke private placement documents. But it was this large $48 trillion U.S. wealth management industry that was not able to really put end clients into Bitcoin exposure that is that net new addressable market. And part of the surprise is that we don't think most of them or almost any of those platforms have turned on access to these ETFs yet, um, even as we say this today. So I, I'm surprised by that move, by such a seismic move early in the year. We think there will be significant new addressable markets opening up through the end of the year as some of those bank and broker dealer wealth management platforms turn on access to these vehicles. So, I mean, when you look at the halving, which will, you know, have the net new issuance of Bitcoin in April of this year, coupled with potential for rate cuts and or at least central bank easing generally, it's already happening in, in some places around the world. I think the market is expecting sometime in the spring for the first U.S. Fed funds rate cuts to happen. And you couple that with the having and the turning on of these big platforms that really need the ETFs if they're going to put clients into Bitcoin exposure. And it, it looks like a pretty great setup for Bitcoin through the end of the year. I mean, we were predicting 15 billion of net inflows into these spot Bitcoin ETFs in year one. And, you know, we've already had, uh, I mean, these things already have, I think, net of almost 3 billion net new inflows into into them. And, and it's really early. So, I mean, we, frankly, I, I if I had to pick where we above or below in our 15 billion estimate at this point, it's looking like we were under and it may come in more. So it's a good setup for Bitcoin. I expect that we end the year higher than here. It's pretty straightforward. I don't want to put a specific number on it, though. On the topic of the halving, how are you watching Bitcoin mining stocks? You know, rewards are about to get cut in half. What do you think that means for these companies? Are we going to start to see them diversifying into different businesses? Yeah, it's it's tricky. If you look at the Bitcoin mining equities, I think a lot of them, uh, maybe even most of them are really not mining profitably when you include costs like SG&A. Even on an adjusted EBITDA basis, many of them are not actually profitable. So they're funding a lot of their operations with dilution um, or trying to raise capital in some form. It, it portends a post-having era with either significant M&A or a disruption. It's unclear what the mining industry is going to look like, the, particularly the publicly traded miners after the halving. I would say the changes in the FASB rules that allow publicly traded companies to mark the value of their Bitcoin on, on a sort of a real basis, as opposed to um, only being able to deprecate the price, has made some influence already in the, the way certain miners are reporting their profits, right? But I think it's it's tricky, honestly. That being said, I mean, broadly, the Bitcoin miners are trading well now. It, it, it could be a disruption. I mean, we expect a decent chunk of hash rate to come offline following the halving. And, and whether or not it comes back soon thereafter, it really will depend on a, on a number of factors. Global crypto regulation, the disruptive power of AI, the rise of tokenization. 
Consensus is the one event where experts convene to talk about the ideas shaping our digital future. Join developers, investors, founders, brands, policymakers, and plenty more in Austin, Texas from May 29th to the 31st. The 10th annual Consensus is curated by Coindesk to feature the industry's most sought-after speakers, unparalleled networking opportunities, and unforgettable experiences. Take 15% off with this registration code, MD15. Register now at consensus.coindesk.com. I know that you've compared this year's run-up to the halving is similar to May of 2020. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? Yeah, so obviously we had the COVID lockdown uh, start in March 2020. There was a big crash in Bitcoin, in crypto, um, in equities around March 12th, 2020. I think a lot of us remember that time period. And and that sort of deepened over a month or so. But then you had Paul Tudor Jones notably come out and say that he liked gold in this spot because there was going to be epic amount of money printing. Um, but if he liked gold, he was going to like Bitcoin more. He called it the fastest horse. And of course, the Bitcoin having occurred, I think, around May 8th in 2020. And, and we all recall that the Fed and, and other global central banks embarked on a historic money printing journey that began around then as well. And so the, the contrast from a narrative standpoint between something like Bitcoin that is credibly secure, that tightened its monetary policy on an automated way without any arbitrary human intervention, predictable and when you compare that to the, by definition, arbitrary monetary policy of the central banks, very much a human operation, it was a contrast you couldn't ignore. And I think, well, the magnitude of, you know, central bank easing is going to be much less than it was during the early months of the pandemic in 2020. Nonetheless, you are going to see a very interesting series of headlines that look, you know, that diverge with Bitcoin monetary policy autom- t- tightening on an automated right, predetermined basis with no human intervention, almost certainly a central bank's ease uh, with purely based on human intervention. So I I think that that setup alone from a pure narrative standpoint could be really powerful. All right, we're going to come back to Bitcoin in just a second, because I know you have some interesting thoughts on Bitcoin layer twos. But I got to ask you about your perspective on ETH. Folks are anticipating a spot ETH ETF later on this year. Uh, What do you make about what's been going on with Ether? Yeah, it's ETH. I'll start with ETF specifically. It is tricky just for the listeners and, and viewers. The The argument is that because the SEC approved a uh, cash-settled Ethereum futures ETF, that the determination would have to be similar to the one that they went through in the grayscale court ruling in the DC Circuit of Appeals, that it would be hard for them to then deny the ETH spot ETF the same way it was hard for them to deny the Bitcoin spot ETF. It's a compelling argument. We've already seen some issuers, potential issuers, I should say, update their Ethereum spot ETF applications to sort of get more in line with where the Bitcoin spot ETF applications ended up. So, for example, cash, create and redeem only. And so I think the likelihood is possible. It feels like, to me, slightly greater than 50%, so more likely than not, um, than they get approved. On the other hand, the SEC hasn't been reviewing Ethereum ETF applications for 10 years like they were with Bitcoin ETF. So it is tough to know. Um, Honestly, I asked my team this, and there were a range of likelihoods from 20% to 65% likely uh, by May, which is sort of the the first final deadline on the 19 B4s for the SEC. So that's on the ETF. If we step back and think about Ethereum broadly, it's, it's been a strong 
player in this market. It's obviously driven and been the platform for tons of the Web3 application areas that people have talked about for years. Um, whether or not they've materialized significant adoption or not, it's almost all happened in and around Ethereum's ecosystem. That ecosystem is clearly pushing for a more layered approach. You've got a proliferation of rollups. I think rollups now are doing something like five times as many transactions as Ethereum layer one is. So there's significant usage here. And the forthcoming upgrade, Dankun, in March will make it easier and cheaper for rollups to settle on ETH and thus could reduce the cost for users of transacting on these rollups. And, and so they're part of the long-term incentivization process that the Ethereum development community is going through to sort of make this layered scaling approach work. But I would say there's a couple interesting things that are different this time. You have the emergence of Solana as a pretty credible alternative layer one blockchain. Again, one that takes a totally different approach to scaling, very monolithic in nature, which offers a technology diversification that if you know it continues to see growing usage and adoption could, could be a meaningful challenger, probably the first that we've really seen as a possible L1 challenger. And, and then also there's questions about where value accrues in a layer two driven ecosystem. I mean, if, if people are using many different layer twos, does that fragment users and liquidity and applications? If the new upgrade actually reduces the cost of uh, that rollups have to pay uh, in order to settle to the L1, does that reduce the overall demand for ETH, the asset that could impact in the short term Ethereum's price or the, the, the demand on owning ETH from these application layers? So a, a lot of questions. It is definitely a different setup again. And I, and I should say even Bitcoin now getting involved in the, the layer two and uh, application platform game as well offers just an interesting setup for ETH that is, is new, I would say, over the last few cycles. All right. I did tell our audience that we we're going to talk about those Bitcoin layer twos. So very quickly, before we wrap up the chat, why are Bitcoin layer twos so interesting to you to watch over the rest of the year? Bitcoin's the largest asset by market cap, right? In this in this ecosystem, it's the oldest blockchain. It's seen by many as being the most secure, but of course, it has been almost exclusively used historically for payments or digital store of value, right? It's not been widely used for app as a platform for applications. There are some sort of historical anomalies there. Tether initially launched on a on a an L2 called the OmniLayer. There was counterparty where people did NFTs and a few other attempts at tokenization on Bitcoin, but largely that mindshare has flown to Ethereum and, and alternative layer ones, mostly because of a lack of programmability to achieve things like DeFi or NFTs or other, or other application uses. I think now there is a growing, partly kicked off by this ordinals sort of discovery and creation uh, at the beginning of 2023. There's, there's a lot of interest now in doing other things we've already seen proliferation of these new token standards on Bitcoin that use the Ordinals protocol. So tokens have been making their way onto Bitcoin. But now you also see the uh, a few that are launching one Citria ZK rollups on Bitcoin. There are technical uh, complications that, you know, create trade-offs about whether these are as secure or as tethered to Bitcoin security as the Ethereum rollups are tethered to Ethereum's security. But there's a lot of excitement in trying to figure out new ways to build layer twos on Bitcoin that could perhaps be as expressive as the layer twos on Ethereum. And you just see a lot of activity there. I think if you had asked me a year ago, what is the likelihood that Ethereum uh, goes to zero and Bitcoin gobbles all of its use cases? I would have said the likelihood was exactly 0% chance that that happens. Today, when I think about it, I think maybe 5 to 7% chance. Still extremely low probability, but growing 
And it's an ascendant narrative in Bitcoin and also throughout crypto. Alex, thanks so much for joining the show today. That was great. Thank you, Jen. That was Head of Research at Galaxy, Alex Thorne. That's it for today's show. For more interviews and macro news on the digital asset space, check out Coindesk's First Mover, also hosted by me, Jen Snassi. Markets Daily is produced and edited by Eleanor Paul, alongside senior booking producer Melissa Montanez and executive producer Jared Schwartz. I'm your host, Jen Sinassi. We'll be back tomorrow with more Markets Daily. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.